So a note from post-recording, um, I just saw on Twitter a mention of MR Asians, and just before we get into this episode, this episode is all about Shang-Chi and Asian American masculinity, and in no way is this message associated with the MR Asian movement. A summary of MR Asians and what they stand for and what they believe is that Asian American women are to blame for them not getting any romantic attention. And really the truth of the matter is that white supremacy and um, white beauty standards and everything are to blame in terms of defining what is attractive and what isn't. And tying this back to Shang-Chi and the message on masculinity there, Shang-Chi is also about resolving your own identity and understanding yourself and using that to relate to others and not expecting things from others because of their gender or their perceived societal roles. So, uh, without further ado, hope you enjoy the episode and thanks for listening. You ever have that struggle with trying to drink something properly? Because, wow, wow, I do. Um, I made this nice, like, it's not a sangria, by any means of the word. It's literally just a glass of Shiraz with a popsicle dissolved into it because last summer some friends and I were hanging out in the park and one friend brought some popsicles, I brought a bottle of Grenache and the Grenache was super fruity and great and we dissolved popsicles in them and it was great so I'm just trying to like relive last summer like the good parts of last summer and not obviously like the bad pandemic part of last summer even though we're still in the middle of a pandemic but yeah sometimes drinking so I've got I'm using a stemless wine glass and I'm it has a you know (laughs) got a popsicle stick stabbing me in the face every time I go to take a drink but anyways Thanks for tuning in. This is episode three of Nonsense and Noise, a pop culture podcast that examines and discusses the queer person of color experience and how it relates to pop culture. I'm your host, Nathan Cato, and I am clearly struggling. I've taken a few sips of the sangria, and I also spent probably like 20 minutes before this, sitting outside on my fire escape, sipping a high noon. High noon, if you want to sponsor me, please, someone reach out, would definitely be willing to do an ad for that. But yes, clearly I'm struggling to start this. You know, what better way to start than from the beginning? So I wanted to first start out by giving a special shout out to my very first patron over on Patreon, my best friend from college, Tanner, chipping in at the highest patron level so that means you get a shout out you get to suggest topics and you get early access to the podcast which means that after i finish editing and transcribing uh the pod you get full access to it on patreon and so this is now a good time as any to plug the patreon page you can find me on patreon at nonsense and noise podcast there are a couple different tiers the first tier basically gets you a special shout out on the podcast so once again thank you so much tanner every bit of support helps and yeah so if you want to sponsor head on over to the patreon and feel free to drop whatever level of money that you can if you enjoy the pod the other benefits that you'll see are in addition to getting a shout out 
you can get early access and you can have the option to suggest topics, which I know everyone's dying to do. Everyone wants to see in this audio medium, see me talk about topics that you guys think of in terms of pop culture and media and how it relates to the queer POC experience, whether that be video games or movies or TV shows, any of those interest you, please check out Patreon. So moving on, this week's episode is probably going to be the meatiest topic that I'm planning to cover. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings is a first for Asian Americans in that this is the first time that we see ourselves represented on screen in a superhero genre. And even more importantly, the main theses and themes that come out of this movie really center on masculinity and how Shang-Chi actually engages with that. This episode will actually tie into next week's episode as well, which is Shang-Chi and Romance and my takes on that. But between these two topics and themes, they're so huge. And I would love to get people's opinions and thoughts on the topics and how they relate to them, especially if you are an Asian American person. So if you have any thoughts and feelings and you want to share please feel free to reach out to me on Twitter or through the Patreon and let me know. I would love to have you on to talk about your thoughts, your feelings, your experiences, because this is a really important movie for all of us, especially if you're an Asian American person, of course. Um, But this is also an important movie for other folks of color, and I would truly love to have you on to discuss your experience and how you relate to the topics of masculinity and romance as portrayed through Shang-Chi. So, without further ado, let's jump right in. So, in terms of themes and everything, Shang-Chi, I, th- I feel like, has these the, the main theme of roots and origins, which is funny considering this is an origin story, but, you know, the movie starts off with Wen Wu's origins and, and who he is, what his motivations are, what the Ten Rings are, and then we get to the Bamboo Grove scene, and you see Wen Wu with his martial arts style, which is Kung Fu, but is specifically the tiger style of Kung Fu. And that is, as we see in the movie, is very aggressive and very forceful. And that echoes Wen Wu's motivations and character as a whole. He doesn't know any other way. He is forceful. He, he gets what he wants. And if he can't achieve what he wants through normal means, he will take it by force. And this is more or less a stand-in for the concept of toxic masculinity. You know, men taking things by force. Men just taking things without regard for the consequences of their actions, right? Now, in the bamboo grove scene, of course, enter Ying Li with her baguazhang. So that is the proper pronunciation. I'm sorry for every time I said it before. Um, Zhang has a third tone on it. So it's Baguazhang, not Baguazhang, which if you know Chinese, this makes a difference. If you don't know Chinese, it just sounds like I'm saying exactly the same word. But Chinese is a tonal language. So the tone inflection on that is important. So anyways, um, enter Ying Li with Baguazhang and it's gentle, right? As I mentioned in episode one, Baguazhang is the model for airbending in Avatar, which is the most defensive and the most gentle of the bending arts. 
she does not directly inflict damage or harm on Wen Wu when she when Ying Li is fighting with Ba Guazhang. She manages to repossess the rings and only by sending them back at him is when anything happens, right? And this is the same thing that Shang-Chi does later in the movie when he finally faces off against his father, when he recaptures all the rings and he shows his father like, hey, look, I'm, I'm more than capable of taking on this power. So that is a sort of diametrically opposed force of gentleness, and I guess you could call it femininity, introduced in this movie. I only say femininity because Ba Guazhang is is associated with primarily women characters. So you see that with Ying Li, who's Shang-Chi's mom, and you see it with his aunt as well, Ying An. So this is an important thing to keep in mind because Shang-Chi, as well as his sister Xia Ling, is, they only know Gong Fu, and they only know these martial arts of force and this forcefulness to really take what they want or to bend things to the way that they want. And it's really interesting because, you know, obviously Saling opens the golden daggers and she really leans into this, right? That's her motivation and her strength throughout the movie. She defeats Shang-Chi in combat. And then at the end of the movie, in the post credit scene, she assumes her father's title as leader of the Ten Rings, right? So it's really interesting to see how she doesn't really pick up on this art of gentleness and this, this sort of diametrically opposed force. And you contrast that with Shang-Chi, who, after literally killing someone, he thinks and comes to the realization of this actually sucks. I don't want to be a part of this anymore. And if anything, Shang-Chi seems to be more rattled by the loss of his mother. It's something that he... It, it's it's a motivation and it echoes constantly throughout the movie, you know, somewhat because he feels at fault, but also because his mother was such a formative part of his childhood. It seems that Shang-Chi actually learned Ba Guazhang before he learned Kung Fu from his mother when they do their exercises together and they they walk through the forms. So it's very interesting to see how Shang-Chi actually absorbs that from his mom and Xiaoling gets none of it. It's cool in a sense because Xiaoling is this really cool and tough character. She is tough as nails. She takes no bullshit. She even goes as far as to say, oh, America must have made you soft, right? And she's an amazing character, and I hope that she's an inspiration for Asian American women and young Asian American girls who can say, you know, I don't have to be meek and demure, and you know what? That's going to be another topic. I hope to have an Asian American woman on to talk about Xiaoling and how she subverts this sort of trope of the meek, demure Asian American uh, Asian woman, all without needing a dyed strand of hair. So fun note... There is a trope in media where if an Asian girl is viewed as rebellious, she's got a streak of color in her hair to denote that. We've got so many different examples. We've got Mako from Pacific Rim. You've got the Asian girl character from Seventeen, the cartoon. You have Juniper Lee. There are way too many examples, and those are the top three that come to my mind. Oh, and then you also have uh, Sunmi from... Cloud Atlas, the Korean android slash synthetic human. She also has the little two-toned strands of hair. You also even have that, unfortunately, with male characters as well. You've got that with 
Jake Long in American Dragon, which, wow, that is such a throwback. Dante Bosco really does an amazing job in any any voice acting role that he has. I certainly had a crush on Jake Long while growing up. But anyways, that's going to be another episode for another time. And, and obviously, since I am not a woman and I don't have any experience with that, I would love to have an Asian American woman on to talk about how Shang-Chi subverts that stereotype. So if you're interested, please hit me up. I would love to have you on. Okay, so we go back now to themes and how Shang-Chi has absorbed both these these themes of toxic masculinity and this gentleness, this gentle force. Um, if we want to, to name this concept, right, they're, they're diametrically opposing forces. They're black and white, they're light and dark, yang. Or for maybe more westernized audiences, yin and yang. If you want to say, say this and really impress either me or your Chinese friends, yin yang. In, but like, like a, a long e sound, yin yang. So yeah, this is the whole basis of Shang-Chi's identity and how he's trying to navigate for himself what that means, right? Because he's so used to the darkness inside of him, I sound like a Kingdom Hearts game. The darkness, he's so used to relying on force and what he's learned from his father. We see this demonstrated in obviously his self-defense on the bus. We see this really over and over again when he's fighting Xiaoling, when he's fighting for his life in the Golden Daggers building. Predominantly through the movie, Shang-Chi uses the Gong Fu style that he learned from his father. And it's really only once he realizes that to beat his father, it doesn't mean killing him, it means standing up to him with gentleness to not perpetuate cycles of violence and cycles of trauma and everything that he's able to win, right? Because the only way that Wen Wu has been defeated in the past has been through Ying Li and her Baguazhang. And so... When it comes to the climax of the movie and the whole transition of power in front of the the dragon scale door, I don't care what Marvel has actually named that. I'm calling it the dragon scale door because it's better. It rings more true for me, just the same as instead of like the great evil or the dark one or whatever, that thing is just the evil flying spaghetti monster. Like, I don't care. Come fight me. I'm fully willing to take this Marvel franchise away from Marvel and make it an Asian-American-owned story. More on that at the end of this episode, but and maybe in the next episode. But um, yeah, so when Shang-Chi and Wen Wu are fighting at the Dragon Scale Door, right? This comes after Shang-Chi has been revived by the dragon. It comes after Shang-Chi got his ass kicked because, of course, Wen Wu has has thousands of years of experience of being this toxic male patriarch. He spent his entire life honing and perfecting his craft. He knows how to be powerful. That is Wen Wu as a character. He is power, right? The narrator at the beginning says he, he chases power and fame and money. So it's no surprise that in terms of raw power, Wen Wu dominates, and he kicks Shang-Chi literally into the lake. He punches him to the bottom of a lake. 
before flying off to the dragon scale door. So yeah, once Shang-Chi leans into Bagua Zhang and he really is able to say, look, both this darkness and this toxicity, this force, this masculinity is part of me as well as this gentleness and this femininity. And he marries those together and he really comes to believe in both sides of himself. That's when he's able to win. And overall, and this is also reflected in the musical themes, which is, of course, yet another episode. Once he's able to come to the conclusion that, hey, this power is also equally important in addition to force, that's really when he comes into his own. He uses Baguazhang to exercise the evil flying spaghetti monster in addition to the help from the dragon, right? The rings respond differently to these different shows of forces. And I think it's really critical to note, right? When Shang-Chi recaptures the rings from Wenwu, they glow the same color that they did with his mother. They glow gold instead of this harsh electric blue. And I think that is a really, really nice touch from the visual effects team to show, hey, look, we've got two different ways of approaching power and approaching what it means to be strong. So that is, I think, the overall statement that the movie makes in terms of being a superhero and being a powerful person. It means that, sure, you can be strong and forceful, but to an extent, that forcefulness and that unwillingness to compromise is going to be, if you meet it with gentleness and you meet that with strength accompanied with that gentleness, then you can break free of that cycle. You can break free of the constructs that we have placed on us now, whether that be toxic masculinity, whether that be patriarchal systems, whether that be other systems of oppression, right? And breaking free of systems of oppression. But also it highlights the fact that just because you're gentle doesn't mean you're a doormat. Bryn and I talked about this briefly last week when we were talking about how Ying Li fought off the Iron Gang. Ying Li is using Bagua Zhang, but she ultimately holds her own. Like I said, I would have to rewatch the movie to see how many bodies are in that frame, but she has a body count. She does a lot of work. So this isn't to say that being gentle means you're a doormat. This gentility and this softness also means standing up for yourself and standing up for what's right. You know, whether or not Wen Wu is, has been right in the Iron Gang's grievances against him, that's, that's another story. But Ying Li knows that she has to protect her children. And obviously that seems to be a pretty good motivation. So yeah, this isn't to say that being gentle means you have to be a doormat. Being gentle means that you have mercy and compassion for other people and you have, there's a more human element to that system and considering the consequences and the effects that your actions might have on others. So overall, the movie has painted this really complex portrait of masculinity that Shang-Chi really steps into. He's both forceful and strong physically. Obviously, we get this really nice eye candy moment where Simu takes off his shirt and thank you. Thank you, directors. And you also get him being gentle. You also get Shang-Chi being a gentle force of nature 
and it's incredible to see right you see all the, you see this power that he wields and he doesn't kill his father he exercises the evil spaghetti monster and i think that is a really important takeaway to apply to the Asian American masculine experience. Unfortunately, as an Asian American man in the States, the main way that we're considered is we are feminine. Asian American men are viewed as lesser than other other men of color because we, we are desexualized, we're too soft, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And so it's really cool to see a movie with such a strong male character lean into these ideals of gentleness. And it's interesting because this this conception of masculinity is also captured in Wen Wu's name. So Wen is the Chinese word that essentially encompasses culture. In the Chinese arts, if a character embodies the win or the soft cultural aspect of masculinity it's he's soft he is that sort of you know softened version of masculinity that you see predominant in asia and in what asia exports to the west so like all the k-pop bands and how the k-pop boy band stars look and how they are a different version of masculinity when compared to different artists from the west and from america from europe in how we view masculinity as angular as hard and sharp and a force and it's interesting because I, I recently read this article within the past couple of weeks talking about Wen Wu and, and those different ideas and how the, the Wen masculine characters, they actually are, are the womanizers and they tend to be associated with um, flirting with, flirting with the, the women characters more. Um, and then on the other hand, you have Wu, which is um, more associated with war. Wu characters... Um, are more warlike. They tend to be war heroes. They they're fighting. Um, they're they're in battle. And interestingly enough, Wu characters don't get associated with heterosexual romances. They women are almost absent from their stories, according to this particular article. They tend to actually relate most to other men, and they're you know this this concept of war and and how masculinity can be proved through war dominance and and conquest so you know with that historical context and the context of how asian american men are viewed in in the united states it's really cool to see how this movie says hey look it's not a bad thing to be both. In fact, it's good to be both. And if we can rely on both, then maybe we can paint a new path for going forward for what it means to be an Asian American man. And furthermore, taking this to another step, because, you know, that I'm, I'm not heterosexual. I am not straight. And so as a result, I cannot talk about what it mean what this movie means as just an Asian American man. This movie resonated very strongly for me as an Asian, a gay Asian American man because 
You take all of the trappings that face Asian American men in the States, um, it applies doubly for queer Asian American men. You have not only the uphill battle of being submissive and, or not submissive, but like being soft and feminine, but you have that added misogyny that Asian American women experienced. People assume that if they see a gay Asian American man, this has been my experiences on the apps, most men my age don't want to associate with me. They assume that I am a bottom, they assume that I am submissive, and you know, I will leave my sexual preferences up to imagination because we don't necessarily need to get into this. And I think I kind of talk about that plenty on my own Twitter, but it's an uphill battle. And especially if the gay Asian American man feels that he, you know, he wants to top and he wants to be in that sort of more dominant position, he has an uphill battle to work against. It's been really sad seeing some different profiles from Asian Americans around. I remember reading from this one guy, he put on his profile that I'm a beta and I don't buy into the toxic constructs of alpha, beta, sigma, whatever. Like, I think that's bullshit, especially since that study with wolves was proven to be only in captivity and under duress. But it was just so disheartening to see this person say up front, yeah, I consider myself basically a second-class citizen. I think that I'm lesser than other people. Did he actually mean that? I don't know. That's how I took it. And it was both sad and and frustrating to me because, look, we deserve the best at not at the expense of others and certainly not at the expense of ourselves. So, um, you know what? If you have to make a white boy feel bad for saying something on Grinder, go for it. White gays aren't shit. So, all this to say, this is really cool for me as a as a gay Asian American man to see reinforce that like, hey, it's okay to be gentle and it's okay to 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 also have this drive and this hardness and this masculinity about you and balancing both of those is hard but ultimately it's a worthwhile pursuit so you know in my opinion i think this is a great movie in terms of showcasing the maybe uh, an optimistic path going forward for asian american men and also especially for queer asian american men and do i want Shang-Chi to be queer? Would I like him to have a male love interest? I would love for for that to happen. That is completely the topic of the next episode, and also it is, if anyone has been following my Twitter closely, uh, it's all I've been talking about for the past week. I will not shut up about it. So yeah, this, this movie is a really, really important essay, and, and kind of not not love letter per se to Asian American men, but like a really important demonstration of, hey, you're important and you're valued. And just because the rest of the world says, or not the rest of the world, but white America and even maybe other other subcultures in America say, look, you don't matter because 
you don't measure up to our conceptions of masculinity, this movie says, fuck that. Screw that. You have your own identity to carve. You have your own life to live and your own traditions to fall into. Um, your own, you know, your own culture to respect. And that's okay. And in fact, that's that's gorgeous and that's beautiful. And it's important to lean into that. I will probably make another episode about identity politics and everything with Shang-Chi and the intersection of how some gay men find him attractive and and in a problematic way. But yeah, that, so that'll be another episode. But yeah, this overall, um, hopefully that idea comes across that this movie is is really a showcase of a new way of being an Asian American man. And if you're queer, if you are gay, if you're bi, pan, or you know, you're just a queer Asian in general, I think this is also important because right, as as queer folks, we even more throw off the traditional gender roles and the the concepts of gender that are thrown onto us by society. And this movie is a great love letter to us in terms of saying, hey, look, it doesn't matter what Western society says, these parts of you are valuable and worth cherishing. So, you know, embrace your identity and let it be a part of you. Don't don't let the man get you down. Okay, so this episode was incredibly painfully earnest. Um, there was truly, like, no humor, no jokes to be made at all. And I, I'm also feeling a little emotional. So I think that's going to be it for episode three. Thank you so much for joining me on my ramble. I have been both this week's nonsense and noise. And if you want to hear more of me, please feel free to follow this podcast. Right now I'm hosting on SoundCloud and eventually hope to move over to Spotify. I'm working on developing an RSS feed for the podcast. This is all brand new to me. So um, yeah, if you if you like more, feel free to follow the podcast on SoundCloud. I've got the Patreon set up. Um, if you look on Patreon, just search for Nonsense and Noise Podcast. Uh, you'll see the same profile picture that I use for Twitter, so feel free to follow there. Please feel free to also support the podcast if you feel so inclined. As I mentioned, I'm trying to move over to Spotify, which I think will help get this podcast out to more people. So, yeah, that's where you can find the podcast. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Kato Not Kato, K-A-H-T-O-N-O-T-K-A-Y-T-O. My Instagram is fairly boring. Um, you can follow me for truly just, like, my stories where I post a mixture of both funny shit and also... Um, maybe some serious stuff as well as me freaking out about um my own daily life because life is hard to live and you can find me on twitter at the same handle where i i make truly the most oblique jokes i talk way too much about my self-insert into this universe which will be which i will be talking about next week on on this podcast where we talk where i talk about Shang-Chi and romance. And yeah, so Instagram, Twitter, Kato Not Keito, Patreon, 
I think that's about it. Like I said, please feel free to hit me up if you want to be a guest on this podcast. You can send me a note outlining the topic that you want to talk about, slash if you want to be a guest for the topics of masculinity and or romance for Shang-Chi, you can send all inquiries to nonsenseandnoisepod at gmail.com. So with all of that, thank you all so much for listening and hope to catch you on the next episode.